Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I am your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. And those are my dogs. <laughs> it's actually a reason why I usually record outside. So, hey, there's that. <laughs> they, they knew what time the show was starting, so they were like, right. oh, it's our turn. <laughs> this podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither are the D&D games. Nope, Which we all. didn't get to do last time, but that's okay. It got moved. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be here this week. This I'll week? tell you what, though. Yeah. I've never sat in a chair for so long that my ass hurt. So that was a new experience. I have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have, too. But, but uh, it was uh, it was exciting. Uh I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it yet, but I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, anybody that knows that I love monster variants because I like to give them a little extra, especially things mm-hmm. that they can do on other turns. So our main topic of le- the legendary bestiary today for legendary actions for low level creatures really tickles my fancy. So I'm mm-hmm. really excited to talk about that. And I also really can't wait to talk about our magic item today because I designed it a hundred percent just by looking at a magic, the gathering card. So <laughs> interesting. I was looking at, I was like, this is a very odd item. I've never yeah. seen this one. <laughs> you'll, I'll, when I talk about it in the lore, you'll get a really good idea. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty fun. Okay. I had fun with it. Um, that being said, uh, if you enjoy the show, you want to help support us, you can visit CritAcademy.com, check out our Patreon page, maybe pick up one of our best selling, uh, D and D, uh, supplements we just released last wednesday our um dark tides of damodan uh underwater adventure for fifth to eighth level adventurers so mm-hmm. please check that out you can head on over to critacademy.com and find it right there on the main page or go to dm's guild uh and search it in dark tides it'll show right up um yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, make sure to subscribe to our uh, newsletter so you can be entered to win fat loots each and every single week. Uh, we always give away good stuff. So, <laughs> my kid, my doggie is here. She wants attention. I'm sorry. You got. You gotta go. I need a door on that room. But I need a door in here. <laughs> um, so that being said, Crit Nation, thank you so much for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your rolls are like a low-level monster without a legendary action, which most don't. Nope, they don't. Nope. And makes and honestly, when I went from like Pathfinder and and uh, you know Fourth Edition, some of the monsters had so few abilities it actually for a little bit was a turnoff to me. But that's because the goal was to simplify everything a little bit so the DM didn't have a million things to go on. But then people hated it. Well, I don't know yeah. if they hated it. It definitely was something that some people felt needed some adjustments. So people like me make their own monster variants. So, well, let's face it though. Even with the fourth edition, there was there was issues without question with the first monster manual, which they did improve it and, and build it off of the ones that followed. Right, which is like yeah. three of them, I think. Barely acknowledged. Yeah. Um. So for our let's talk about blank segment. I could not find this in my show notes. I thought we might have talked about it, but it might have been something that was off topic. We're going to be discussing uh, talking a, about this too. Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't find it, so either I didn't huh. include it in the notes that I took, or um, we did it as like a sidebar. Probably um, was just a sidebar. But if we did, please let me know what episode you found it in, and then I can 
snip this section out, I guess, and nobody has to listen to it twice. But uh, <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about an article that came off of D&D Beyond called uh, Class Class 101 or Class Guide 101 or something to the Way mm-hmm. of the Four Element Monks. Um, and now this is alternative rules to make it not suck because it's arguably one of the worst subclasses because of the high cost of key points to do basic spells and stuff like that. I love the idea. I love the avatar feel. I love the idea, but as you right, but the execution, not so, uh, effective. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, I think it's James Hayek who wrote the article, I think is the one that suggested these changes. And so we're going to kind of talk about them a little bit, what we agree with, what we don't. Um, and we'll see how it comes to. So the first uh, change is you would reduce the key points uh, cost of all elemental disciplines by two to a minimum of one. This cost reduction is applied after you spend additional key to raise the spell's level. So for example, the Fist of Four Thunders discipline lets you cast Thunder Wave for two key points, this cost is reduced to one. Casting the spell at second level still cost uh, would cost three, but still only cost one key point because of the the reduction of two. So it allows you to easily scale spells without draining all your key points. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we go further, what do you guys think about that? Is that too generous? Is do you think it's a good amount? It needs all the help it can get. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, but. I mean, I could see it being, I mean, the thing is, I've never played a Way of Four Elements Monk, so I guess I wouldn't really know where to to scale it anyway. That's because no one's played a, a Way and of Four Again, elements. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean... Well, to give you an idea, really, you yeah. normally have one key point per level. So, let's say at third level, when you pick this up, you have three key points. Yeah, and then you gotta dump them all. So if it takes two to cast Thunder Wave at first level, <laughs> that's a weak Thunder Wave. Um, Which, th- that's not necessarily my issue. My issue is the fact you can cast at second level at the same one cost, which is where I'm kind of like, eh. And, but, yeah. Um, that, again, I, agree. I, I don't know. Like, maybe it's not too strong. I don't know. Like, I mean, casting Thunder Wave three times at third level, at second level, kind of sounds crazy to me but at the same time i'm like well is it really because then they have no other options after that right so well that and they're ca- casting it compared to you how many times with a regular caster yeah uh, i don't know at third level how many times can a uh, a, fo- a third caster because i think they would be classified as third casters so like a ranger or a uh a uh paladin so how many spell slots does a third level paladin have two well, just for comparison's sake, a third level wizard would have six, so that's already half as much right there. <laughs> that's true, but so maybe it's closer to a half caster with this change? Yeah, paladins at, at third level don't even get a second level slot. Yeah. They get it at fifth level, where they get two slots. So it's definitely not a third level caster, then. It'd be closer to somewhere between a half and a, a, half and a, caster, and a yeah. full caster. It's definitely not a full caster, but... Yeah, um, level yeah. three, a paladin has three spell slots, so... At, at third level? At yeah. first level for paladin. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, because you're talking about third level paladin, right? Has how has, many spell slots? It's three, three first level spell, spell slots. slots. Yes. Yeah. So... 
this would be close to that then, because this means you could cast Thunder Wave at third level three times as a first level spell. Or as a third level spell, technically, I guess. No, it would only be second level. Why? Because right. it says you're reducing the cost when you level it up to three. Oh, no. Yeah, second no, level. You're second right. Level. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting idea. I like the idea. Um, obviously, I haven't played this, so I'd be interested to see. But because it takes away two, if I thought that it was a little bit too powerful, maybe I can move it up to minus one instead. Which, either way, was the direction I would go with that anyway, is lower the cost of the spell right. so they could do more of them. Well, and even at the end of the day, too, right? Like, key points don't recharge except on long rests? Is it just long rests? No, they can do it on a meditation for a half hour. So, so oh, they okay. can recover twice in a uh, in, a, in an hour short period, which isn't okay. something that the DM has to be really on top of that if you're going to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think some people forget that because you don't need a full short rest to or half a short rest even to, to get that benefit. Anyways, let's look at the other feature here. So at third level, you learn the elemental attunement discipline as normal and two other disciplines. So now you get two extra disciplines and just one. So now you're opening up to accessing more spells instead of the very limited that you can cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you've increased the number of times you can cast and the choices that you have. I'm on board with that. I really am. Um, Me too, because that's like the the point of the class is to yeah. have that kind of versatility. Yeah, and it takes a long time to really get to like by seventeenth level, I think normally, and I could be mistaken. Don't quote me. You only you get like uh, one at sixth level, one at eleventh level, and another one at seventeenth. That's not super great. This one lets you yeah. uh, get uh, two Quite at each few. of those levels. Yeah, yeah, so more versatility. Which once again follows more along that that avatar feeling, which is what I think they I feel like they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is my favorite change. This last bullet point: you learn two cantrips of your choice from the following list: acid splash, firebolt, mold earth, produce flame, ray of frost, shock and grasp. And when you gain a level in this class, you can replace one of these cantrips with another one instead of replacing an elemental discipline with another. Um, so this basically means as new things become available, elemental evils, Xanathar's guide, it allows you to, to swap those out from a rule standpoint, instead of just getting, you know, DM's permission. I don't recall it saying what from the paragraph, but I would assume you use your wisdom modifier for this. Uh, I would agree. Uh, I think normally under normal circumstances, your wisdom is your spellcasting modifier for the way of the elemental monk. Yeah. Um, Overall, I thought these were some really great choices. In our show notes at CritAcademy.com, you can actually find this and the original link to the entire article. We only covered the one point because I thought this was a great start on getting players to actually play this instead of it just being so poopy nobody wants you. Now, keep in mind, even without the elements, the way of Elemental Monk still kicks ass from fistfighting perspective, but not as awesome as some the the other one so right. if you were to throw a open-handed monk i guess an elemental monk my money is going to be in the open palm just about every time <laughs> well can it like stun or some shit yeah yes um, well i didn't think they all can i just think the open palm probably has more opportunities to screw you up in other ways yeah <laughs> yeah I, I overall i thought these were some good changes the only one i had original concern with and this because i haven't play tested it would be the the redu- reduction of the cost of disciplines by two 
Um, I don't know if that means he's got some, what leverage he, or which metrics he used to determine that number, but I definitely think it's uh, great. So. Yeah. I do like the, the two cantrums as well. I think that's a, a nice little touch. Um, do you guys have any <laughs> other points on this? Maybe some other issues you might have with it? No, I think otherwise. I mean, from what I gather, it is a fairly weak class Maybe. or subclass. Well, so, And this at least does seem to help it out. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, before we move on to our main topic, Austin, we have a prize to give away. Would you like to tell our listeners about it? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, hold on doing this. But <laughs> uh, we have a giveaway from Lorsmith, the modular dungeon tiles, Arcania. Uh, so the modular dungeon tiles are an easy way to create your own beautiful digital maps. And the Arcania lets you make dark, shadowy dungeon maps ripped with the fumes of arcane secrets. So on one hand, you might find like a, a Lich King. That would be unfortunate. But on the <laughs> other hand, you might find a Vulcan Sword. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Don't send you. If you send you flitting Vulcan that was to kill you. Ah, <laughs> the classic. Oh, man. I've been watching uh, freaking... Uh... Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works and oh my god, Gilgamesh, that needs to be a boss. Where he Gilgamesh like summons these little lights. portals and just thousands of swords and weapons of all varieties come flying out at you. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna make a way I'm gonna find a way to make that a thing. Maybe actually in my uh me as a masterminds game I played with, with my old group, it happened to be around the same time that uh Fate Zero was coming out. And the character I built was effectively a combination of uh Berser- Berserker and the Gilgamesh. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I, I explained the cards as think Green Lantern, only instead of uh, green energy constructs, it's uh, magical metal. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, Austin, who's our winner today? T. Brent's 42. <laughs> congratulations t brent 42 if you enjoy the product please let lore smith know send him an email or send him a contact or leave him a review or something do something uh, for him yeah if you didn't win have no fear we've got you covered head on over to critacademy.com slash loresmith and you'll be able to pick up a free set of digital terrain and so much more definitely check that stuff out mm-hmm. um so Moving on to our main topic today, as I said, we are covering the Legendary Bestiary. Legendary actions for low-level monsters. Now, first thing I want to say is that I absolutely adore the creators of this. So, I absolutely love the work from uh, not only Alex Klippinger, which we've covered some of his stuff uh, on our show before, but you also have... um, uh, Christopher Waltz, who once again, I think we've covered a few, at least a few things that he's been a part of. Um, I see him in the chat all the time. He's a great guy. He's got great content. Um, so definitely check out this and some of his other stuff, some good stuff. I think he helped on villains and layers and a few other big projects too. So, um, some good, good people behind the, this product. So, um, so what do we got here? So first of all, I'll start off with what, what a legendary action is. So, uh, according to, Christopher, it's one of the most memorable aspects of 5th edition. Now, I agree with that because one of the coolest things that they added is the fact that the big bad can go on other people's turns. That really Mm -hmm. gives you the back and forth flow of combat 
that I feel like was missing in some other ones. So yeah, it really allows for that dynamic choices throughout the the combat round instead of just relying on a single one big boom. You know, you can do a bunch of little booms, like firecrackers, instead of a you know M80 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, this makes the game unpredictable in so many different wise ways and makes it more uh, enjoyable for more tactic minded players. And that to me is just right on the money there. Um, yeah. So there are some uh, things I want to touch on here before we move into some of the, we've each kind of picked some of the monsters we wanted to talk about. Um, it is worth noting that since these are uh, for lower level creatures, none of the legendary actors grant free damage. Uh, damaging action should require specific setup and other circumstances um, if you decide to design your own beyond what's inside of these features or decide to uh, give them your own. He actually, they actually have a segment in here called Design and Challenge Ratings. So mm-hmm. um, I thought that that was uh, pretty cool because it gives you everything you need as a dungeon master to add your own kind of uh, creativity to either the ones that exist or to ones not covered or if you want to alter them in some way. Um, so, and I think they did a really good job. Now, the, I think there could be a, um, so some of the points are, you know, no free damage. Uh, when possible, creatures should have a mix of low and high impact legendaries. So they're not all just big hits, you know, you want to make them minor and give them options between turns. And I feel like yeah. the ones that do damage in some way, shape or form, augment some ability that already exists. So. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and and that definitely is um, a, a good good point to talk on because you're reinforcing the skill sets that are already tied to those monsters, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and the other thing they talk on is making sure that you stick kind of with the theme, right? You want to keep mm-hmm. the the creatures within theme and the features within theme. You don't want a uh, a young baby green dragon, you know, spewing fire. <laughs> it's not really the theme of the monster. Um, you also don't want like a like a specter like I don't know conjuring a sword out of the air and stabbing it into a person. Oh, um, that sounds awesome, and I'm stealing that. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> probably wouldn't want that, but I mean, hey, I guess if your DM allows uh, it, go for it, dude. Maybe they're into it. <laughs> the other thing that I think is cool that they touched on, and this is one of my favorite parts, is that. If you are tossing lower level monsters at a higher level party, this is perfect because they've already been past that. They've already fought the goblin. They already know what the goblin can do. But if you surprise them with the goblin dashing on somebody else's turn to run to pull a lever, that's going to even cause the a higher level party to be like, what the hell just happened? You know? Yeah. And so that's definitely something that uh, is pretty uh, fantastic and that I like about that. Um, now, it is. It is worth noting that uh, at challenge rating one, the legendary monsters can take one legendary action. Just one. Just one. So I want to uh, – do one of you guys want to start off with uh, one you've picked that you want to talk about? Um, sure. We can uh, – if you want to go ahead. Um, sure. Um, I picked something that was uh, relatively basic to start off with but is a uh, – very much a archetypal creature in D&D, the Owlbear. <laughs> the ever-present. <laughs> they never go away. 
<laughs> I still think that one time I got one shot by one because I failed my stealth, my perception check to uh, see it stealth on me. <laughs> is STR one? Uh, three, I believe. What monster okay. is that? Owlbear. Okay, that's that's where yeah, that's where you, where you're starting today. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be bouncing around just, but uh, his first legendary action is imposing figure. The owlbear stands on its hind legs and lets out a roar. Any creature within thirty feet. That can see and hear it must make a DZ 11 wisdom saving throw or be frightened until the end of the next turn. That's cool. That's yeah. that's I mean, that it fits the theme, right? Yeah, it fits like, the theme. Fucker, like I'm gonna you kill see you. This, this big ass bear stand up like this. I'm gonna be like, ah, uh, <laughs> nah, <laughs> that's gonna swing at me. I'm gonna fly into a wall. Yeah, and the next one is overpowering charge. Moves up to 15 feet in straight line. The, the target must make a DC 15 strength. Swing saving throw or be knocked prone. If a target's knocked prone, the owlbear makes an attack using its claws. Yes. Very savage. I like that. So yeah, yeah. I like this because uh, remember he talked about no free damage? They have yep. a chance to save. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It still has to move 15 feet. So if it's not even near anybody. Right. Now, I do want to touch on this ability just a smidge. If you knock him prone, Technically, he gets advantage on that attack. So don't fail your strength save. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hold and, on to the owl bear. <laughs> and last but not least, stubborn ferocity. The owl bear rerolls its saving throw against one effect that, that causes it to be charmed, frightened, incapacitated, or stunned. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So um, it can almost shrug off one of the the adventuring party's effects. That's yep. like a weak, low-level legendary resistance. Yeah. That is so cool. Which, again, makes sense because, you know, if you've never seen a, a fucking owl bear, they're huge-ass <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> um, so overall, I think that these are really great. They're theme-fitting, they're not broken, and they all make sense in the context of what the owl bear should be capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that is a great change. I like that. That really, really is, uh, a, a fantastic addition to the Owlbear's features. Now I mentioned earlier that CR ones get one, uh, yeah. one legendary action. You get one legendary action for each CR. So this is CR three, right? Yep. yep. So it gets three of these that it can do in a round. Now it can only do it at the end of a player's turn. So if there's if you killed all the right. players, there's no end of their turn. He doesn't get any more. But yeah. <laughs> move point at that point, <laughs> right? But I think right. the, that he can uh, fear. Uh, he can uh, bowl over and knock him to the ground. It makes this very much a very dynamic battle. Yep. Um, and I don't. I don't have almost stuff... like a mini boss. Yes. Yes. Like and... a <laughs> unexpected mini boss. It's like, why is this owl bear? Whoa. This is the this is the tiny owl bear. The big owl bears back there. <laughs> the mama owl bear. The dire owl bear. <laughs> that reminds me of like the uh, n- the Netflix Godzilla trilogy, <laughs> and how the first one ends like, yes, we killed Godzilla. Beep beep beep. Uh, guys, agree the scanners. That was the baby. What? Come <laughs> <laughs> um, again. All right. So I think that was a really good choice, Austin. Uh, which one did you want to talk about? Uh, we'll talk about the knight. It's also in the CR3 category. Uh, it's page uh, 29. Um, Thank you so really, I like this one uh, because it does kind of fit like the knight theme. Knights are typically seen as honorable opponents and stuff. Um, 
And I really liked the first one. It's called Challenge. Uh, so the knight targets one creature it can see within 30 feet of it. And the knight gains two AC against that creature for one minute or until it challenges another creature. And I really like that because it's kind of like it's issuing a duel with you. That's like what I was like, thinking, like slapping you with this metal gauntlet. I challenge you to a duel, good sir. Whack. And it's just like, oh, man. Like, and it, you know it's not going to fight anyone else. Right. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to choose you. So I thought that was, like, very interesting. It does have some other ones, too, though. Um, has command. So the knight commands a creature within 60 feet of it. Uh, the creature can use its reaction to make one weapon attack or move up to half its speed. So it kind of still gives it that that commanding presence that usually knights tend to have, uh, I, regardless. I like this because it's very. It's one of the. If I'm not mistaken, it's similar to one of the battlemaster features, where the player yeah. can command like the rogue. So I would love to see a knight surrounded by like spearmen or something, and he's using his you know action to um, cause them to run around and shift around combat and stuff, and mm-hmm. then stab you in the ass. Very cool. Uh, and then the last one is uh, another uh, – I like it because it still fits this theme of being a knight where it's kind of like it's trying to be this leader, this like person in charge to kind of keep people going. Uh, and it's called Rally. The knight gives a rallying cry. Up to three other creatures of the knight's choice within 30 feet of it gain temporary hit points equal to the knight's constitution modifier, which is usually plus two. So it's not much, surely. Uh, but I mean, this is, you know, it's a legendary action. It can kind of keep doing this, you know yes. what I mean? So that is, uh, the big thing of it. Right. So it, I can definitely see this kind of being like, uh, maybe there's like a few other knights with it, but this is like the knight commander yeah. or something. So it can be like, oh, well, you're taking on my lackeys. I choose you and me and you are going to have a fight. Uh, that kind of thing. I like that. So, what do you think, Ian? I think it definitely <laughs> it's nice to see a leadership options being given to an NPC. Cause you don't see those too often in many games. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also think that this can throw the party off as well, because um, could you just imagine for a second, he's commanding spies, right? And he's out on the battlefield, but the spies are hidden because they, you know, they, as I think as a bonus action, they can hide. So mm-hmm. he's standing there and he's challenge challenges one person then that person accepts the challenge. Then he orders one of his spies to pop out and try to gank the person. So now you have a dirty knight who will mm-hmm. use any cheap cheapness to, to, to win. And that to me sounds really cool. And uh, with the command ability, um, you definitely can do that more than once because you can do it on each of the person's turns. Right. So, uh, And of course it does use the creature's reaction. So he can't yep. just command the same person. Oh, right, right, him, right. But... For sure. Uh, but Eve, I mean, if there's one spy, there's probably more. <laughs> They're like cockroaches. <laughs> they but... come from everywhere. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I do think the rally is pretty cool, too, because he can turn around and uh, I think we had the drill sergeant uh, character concept last week mm-hmm. where he can talk. Hey, you dirty bastards, get up off your feet. And then they, you know, they get some temporary yeah. hit points and a kind of a quick rally. Or is, Did you train all this time to lose to these weaklings? Stand up, right. fight to your heart's content, boys and girls. Yeah, and people. <laughs> All right, maggots. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so I thought that was a really cool one. So that was one of my choices. Yeah. Did you guys have any other uh, comments on that? Any of those? They're on that one. Not on that one. So I ended up picking. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the. Um, if my 
my scroll bar would work. The Death Dog. Now, this is a CR1 monster, but it has some really dope-ass abilities. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is Consume Flesh. The dog eats a portion of a corpse killed within the past hour, regaining 1d8 hit points. A corpse can only be consumed once. So basically, if somebody falls during the battle, this thing can stop and go eat it mm -hmm. and heal itself. That is something I have never seen in a, a, any of my D&D games. I I talked about something about this earlier before we started the show. The ghoul has a, a similar ability. And I was like, could you imagine the fear and the shock in like the players' like eyes when they're just like, this thing just turned around mid-battle just to start eating something? And yes. I'm just like, that is that is cool. Hell yeah, it is. I thought it was dope as hell. And I know we were previously talking about it. Um, what I also think is interesting about this is because of the nature of that, that's a legendary action. So if I toss this thing in with a bunch of minions or weak ass enemies, mm -hmm. um, this thing, you could know, the go, players kind of bop through them. Yeah. This could go terribly bad for the players because <laughs> it's a reaction or it's, it's, it's a legendary action. So as long as there's players, it can keep doing it if they're within range. Um, and that to me is just awesome. Uh, it also gets detect. Uh, the dog makes a wisdom uh, perception check, um, mm -hmm. which it can do on its uh, on another person's turn. That's really great for hoping no rogues stealth and get advantage on them or anything like that from the hiding mechanic, right? Right. And then its third ability, which I just love, is foul breath. The dog exudes a disease-ridden stench in a five-foot sphere around itself. Any creature in that area must make a DC 12 constitution saving throw or spend the next action, next action, retching and reeling creatures that don't need to breathe are immune to the immune to the poison automatically or immune to poison automatically succeed on this. So basically you're pulling away their action. Mm -hmm. You are removing an action from a player or two or however many are surrounding this thing. Um, that's killer. That is really killer. Um, and I love the fact that you can just describe the bile and stuff coming from their yeah. stomachs. And then the dog, like, if they violently puke all over a corpse and then the dog eat consumes that corpse, coated with frosting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about this? I, I really like the consume flash. I know I already said it before, but, like, that is definitely, like, Something so jarring because it's like again, it's in the middle of the battle, right? And this thing just turns around, and just starts eating a dead guy. Yeah, like that's just so brutal. I can imagine <laughs> like uh, uh, having a lot of fun with that. I mean, detect op kind of makes sense because it is like a it's a dog, right? It it's, should be good at relatively good at like sniffing people out and stuff. Can and the foul breath is just what my dog <laughs> is cooking. <laughs> oh, my dog just ate. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, I do like foul breath. That is just a really. I like the the retching and reeling specifically. It's just I, I like the the idea that it does yeah. take away up because action economy is important in this yes, game. Yes, very so, much so. Wait, uh, losing an action is crazy. Creature regaining HP from corpses in the middle of a fight and the breath weapon looks pretty solid to me. <laughs> Make kind it happen. Of a breath weapon. <laughs> kind of a breath weapon. Uh, Ian, did you have another one you want to talk about? We'll do I probably did. two more. Yep, the uh, Gith Sarai Monk. It's the uh, first ability it gets as a legendary action, and this is a CR2, I believe, is 
evasive tactics, which allows the against the ride to take take the dodge action. Nice. That is really cool. That is which awesome. basically means, hey, you don't have disadvantage on attacking me. Almost indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And that's just pretty good tanking right there, really. Next is my is a minor telekinesis, which allows him to, to cast Mage Hand or move a Mage Hand that already exists. Not probably not that big of a deal in most combat encounters, but I'm sure there's some exceptions here and there. Oh yeah, for sure. And last but not least, recenter. That gets us right, rerolls his initiative check, uses the new roll of if higher. Yes. Which is silly. That's dope as hell. <laughs> and it is so silly. Oh yeah. Oh, did did you just nope, everything's fine. Never mind. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, I just want to say that if I pop this into my game, I would name him Hammer, and then every time he dodged, I would say, "Can't touch this," because <laughs> it's Hammer, because he's a monk, right? Oh my um, god. <laughs> I like this because this thing, this this uh, the evasive technique significantly increases, um. It's survivability. Yes. Just vastly. Every round, if it's got, so if it's got two of these, uh, if Uh it's got two legendary actions, it can dodge indefinitely every round consuming one of those and potentially with its recenter, move its way up the top of the initiative, which means the players can't predict when it's going to go. Cause if normally it's pretty static, right? If Mm -hmm. Ian goes, then the get the, the hammer gets her eye monk goes, they know that's going to happen, but if all of a sudden, instead of Ian or Austin going, the ha- the the hammer monk goes again, that's going to throw all the players off and be like, oh, you messed up initiative, which I do all the time. So maybe okay. I'll just have to say all my enemies have this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love that you can gradually, because they're at one point, depending on how long, because the fight's going to go on for a long time because of the dodge action, harder right. to hit. Um, and then he's going to be gradually moving up. at one point. He's going to eventually be at the top of the initiative, um, which Ideally. I just think is awesome. Yeah. So. Cause it can do that almost like it can evasive action and then it can start recentering every turn. So it's, it's a very, it gives her a monk. It's going to be alive for a while. <laughs> I like he, it. He took lessons from a uh, piccolo. Dodge! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. This is a really good one. Uh, Austin, do you have one more you want to talk about? I do. And this is also in the CR2 category. It's called The Priest. Now, usually when I think of a priest, I don't usually think too much of them, right? Uh, but this one, it's on page 23. It's definitely a little bit of a, a kind of a, a cool take on them. Um, so the first uh, legendary action it has is Divine Presence. So the, the priest can either cast its light or thumaturgy cantrip. So doesn't really do a whole lot, obviously. I mean, thumaturgy can do a few small bits and pieces there, but mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't typically do anything. It could definitely trick some players, maybe. Um, maybe it's like acting like it's going to cast some crazy spell or something, but in reality it doesn't. Right. Um, it has prayer for protection, which costs uh, two of its actions. So this is one of the few that costs... Uh, because it's CR2, so it'll take both of the legendary actions. Um, the priest and up to three allies within 10 feet uh, of the priest add 1d4 to the next saving throw they make before the start of their next turn. So it's effectively a, uh, what is it, the resistance cantrip, right? That's what it sounds so, like. Yeah. 
So I like that. That's cool. Um, I don't know if the priest already has access to that or not, but I mean, being able to use it on, you know, an enemy turn for no reason. I mean, why not? I would say it's more like bless. Bless. Is that, wait, is that what you said? I said resistance. resistance. I think it's more the, the prayer protection. Maybe more, more like, like bless. bless. Yeah. yeah. Which is still uh, really cool. I like that because it's the priest typically doesn't really do anything but kind of sit and does like the support style yeah. stuff. So I think that's really cool that it kind of reinforces that theme. Yes. Um, and then lastly uh, is sacrifice, which I thought was also really interesting is the priest takes 1d4 psychic damage. A creature of the priest's choice within 30 feet of it gains hit points equal to the damage dealt. That is cool. Uh, one thing that I also thought was really cool about this is what if the players convince the priest that they are on their side during this battle? So it does a sacrifice to the player because it's up to the priest who gets the, the health back. It doesn't have to be oh, yeah. like an enemy creature, creature or anything. Right? Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I thought that was interesting. Like a secret bad uh, guy. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, really stuff that you can still kind of work with because even the uh, prayer for protection can be up to three allies so again if you somehow convince the priest that you're on its side well now you guys have a, a 1d4 add-on to a saving throw till you're not ending their next turn anyway yeah, but you know, i really yeah. i think this is cool because it shows and you know i've done this in the past where it took the utility of a spell like bless and stripped it down to a regular feature that's just part of their the character stat block. Instead of giving it more spells, it just gave mm-hmm. it a special ability that does the similar effect, but doesn't require concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's cool is because it's on another, it's a legendary action for this prayer protection, the priest may wait until the wizard casts fireball mm-hmm. and then use it to refresh it after the fact. Yeah. Um, cause you can only use it once, right? It's on the next saving throw. So they could ke- help keep that up pretty regularly. Um, yeah. I think this is a really good one. I like, I like the idea of like the unholy acolyte doing this sort of thing. Like you're talking about the self-sacrifice. Maybe they stab themselves with their holy symbol and squirt their blood everywhere. And it heals, oh, some- yeah. heals people. <laughs> Taste my <laughs> blood. <laughs> Very fun. I, I liked something that wasn't specifically, uh, like increasing the individual's combat. It's it's trying to help other units in its uh in its fold to to fight better. Yeah. So I liked that aspect a lot. Yeah. Uh, how many is that? Is that five? I think I got one more. I think that was five. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think the last one we'll talk about is the. Uh, I want to talk about the druid. Um, this is a very simple character. But they gives it two really cool abilities, and they're very they're so flavorful. Uh, the druid gets nature's guard. Uh, animal spirits swarm around one creature the druid can see within sixty feet. Uh, the target makes a D, uh, DC twelve wisdom saving throw, or have uh, or they have disadvantage on attacks until the end of their next turn. Ooh. This is cool because this takes the vicious mockery without the damage and gives it to another class uh, style character and i love that yeah um, i love the idea of its nature animal nature spirits kind of swooping mm-hmm. around i totally can see like little sp- pixie spirits flying around and like mooning people and slapping them in the face and pulling all <laughs> kinds of branches pulling out a branch and letting it go and watching it smack them in the face um <laughs> and then the like other that. 
Yeah, so yeah, that's I, I thought it was really, really flavorful. Um, the other feature you get is trip. The druid causes roots and plants to trip up a creature um, within 30 feet. The target must succeed a deck, DC 12 deck save or be knocked prone. So that's very flavorful. It gives them a ranged attack. Everyone can envision a, a druid being able to manipulate vines and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and tree roots, you know, coming up out of the gr- ground to try to, you know, grab somebody. So Right, absolutely. Um, it really, once again, very flavorful. They did a great job as far as making sure the uh, features were within that. What do you guys think about these uh, features? I like those how with the nature's guard, my first train thought was, I cast someone's squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. What did you, uh, what did you tell him? I told him there was nuts in his pants. <laughs> so they just running around looking for nuts. That's great. I like that. Uh, this was a pretty good one. I think mm-hmm. I like it a lot. It's not, it's not super crazy. It doesn't seem like it's overpowered or anything. Oh. And it's just, Simple little stuff that just kind of impedes a party without directly damaging them. Yes. So, which is which that's is, very important. Yes, especially for maintaining uh, balance, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, overall, what is each of your guys's kind of impressions of this whole document as uh, in its entirety? Well, as we kind of covered already, this is not not by any means an all-encompassing document, and it is more geared more towards lower-level creatures, but I think it succeeds at doing what it does, and mm-hmm. at the very least, gives more combat variety. Yes. I do, yeah. I enjoy the fact that there it does give... Because a lot of these, some of these options, I shouldn't say a lot, but some of them uh, kind of, like, reuse some of the same things. So, like, this Gold Dragon Wormling also has the Detect one yep. where it makes a Wisdom check. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like, it, it still gives this sense of, like... Uh, uh, there's still similarities among like beasts and stuff, right? Yeah. So it does kind of keep it in the world of D and D. I mean, these enhancements definitely seem in character of the creatures, so they're not unreasonable. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the one thing I think is really cool, and this is kind of just the artwork that they picked is pretty cool, but each of the artwork pieces has a name to go with it, uh, which I think is really cool. Um, so I was thinking of, as I was reading through some of these, I was like, I want to toss that into, into my, uh, my campaign. Like I'm looking at these bugbears. I think they're bugbears. Like maybe they're not. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. and they're called the bark bottle, the bark battle siblings, bark <laughs> bottle sitting battle siddle, I, siblings, one some one of those, but, uh, that's just fun. That like the, the, <laughs> the one with the displacer piece is called the devil kitty. <laughs> um, Overall, Funny. I think this is great. I like the layout. Um, I think that this was done really well and very professional, just like I would expect from Chris and from uh, Alex. So um, I recommend this uh, product. I certainly will be using it to help create more monster variants um, in the future. <laughs> yeah. So powerful source. So For sure, yeah. I think that'll do it for our main topic today if you want to check this out um please head on over to critacademy.com and click on the blog for the legendary uh bestiary and please use the link there we get a small like five percent kickback if you uh use our affiliate link so please do that if you're going to pick it up mm-hmm. all righty uh Moving before we move on to our honor tips and tricks segment, we have another gift to give away. Ian, would you like to tell our audience about it? 
Why, yes. Our next giveaway is Villains and Lairs number two. Revolutionize your game with this collection of 28 villainous NPCs, from Small Fry to World Ender, eight of which includes maps and details of their lairs, sinister side quests, terrifying overlords, bounties, one-shots, and more lie in wait for you inside. And our winner today is Fan Beak BR, I guess. <laughs> Close enough. That'll do it. It's good enough. There you uh, go. Congratulations, Van Beaker BR. If you enjoy it, uh, if you enjoy the product, please leave Jeff Stevens' review. Let him know what you think. Tell him uh, how awesome we are, for, or how awesome he is, and we are for giving you free stuff. Uh, if you didn't win, uh, that's okay. Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Jeff Stevens, and you'll also pick up, uh, you can pick up Villains in Layers 3 for free. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Ian, would you like to tell us about our character concept, since it's our- yours? Or Brandon's. It's Brandon's. Know. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. The character concept is Magic Bubble Boy slash Girl. This character has spent most of their life trapped inside an oversized glass jar. Their parents always told them that they have a disease that spreads easily could kill them if they were to leave. Though a through a variety of circumstances, they are freed. They then learn that the bubble they're trapped in was actually a anti-magical field because their parents were afraid of their power. <laughs> that sounds cool. That's cool. Now they have to take it to adventuring to see the world and unlock their true potential. <laughs> That'd be a great like sorcerer, like uh, or like wild magic sorcerer. Yes, cool. Somebody that can't control their power that would fit great with that theme. Mm-hmm. I I'm not surprised this came from Brandon because uh, for a long time I feel like he was very uh, <laughs> sheltered as a child. <laughs> so I don't know if this comes from a place of personal uh, experience or what, but <laughs> yep. I think one thing can, can that can be explored too is uh, how do you think this kid would feel towards their parents, like growing up, like you lied to me after all these years. <laughs> yeah, like no kidding. <laughs> Somebody's gonna have blood on their hands now. <laughs> and we've seen that kind of reaction to other media go so many different directions. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um. The one thing I think is cool about this is because this could be a great way to explain how you have a really old character that's a weak class. Like, you could have that 300-year-old elf whose mom kept him in a magic bubble (laughs) because she was afraid of his power. And he finally gets free. And he's like, I've been trapped in that bubble for 300 years. Because I couldn't use magic? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's less likely with an elf, I suppose. But Right, but... Maybe half-elf. The idea is there, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. I thought this was really cool and was a lot of fun, and I feel like you could take this a lot of different ways. As a player, I could see a flaw being having a claustrophobia, right? Tired of, you know, confined Ooh. spaces. And then as a DM, I totally would be trying to find a way to, in the story, plot them and stick them into a ball to bring back those horrible memories. <laughs> Jeez, that's you know, the point, right? Yeah, you know, kind of uh, spring off a discussion we had in the previous episode recently, 
what if they're inside that bubble because at birth they were given a prophecy that they would become the harbinger of destruction for what is to come? That's and really good. Maybe, yeah. I guess the kid going, "Oh, really? Do you think I might decide to be the harbinger of destruction because you guys truly like like crap after all those years?" <laughs> that's one of those. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's one of those things that comes true because they're trying to avoid it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That would be a great for a lawful uh, or an evil character. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, yeah, they're trying to get the world, but I can't really be mad at them for it because I kind of get where they're coming from. I'd be angry too in those circumstances. <laughs> right. Right. Um. Really great. Um. I think that'll do it for our magic bubble boy or girl character concept our <laughs> monster variant is the boon Seder. now uh, i've been having a lot of funs as we mentioned previously on the show the new uh, mythic odyssey of theros is the new book setting coming out so yeah so cha- excited about it i challenge Bye. myself to make a couple of our utts today um by looking at some of the cards so i chose the boon Seder for this uh monster variant and i came up with some uh lore for it while most satyrs are raucous, uh, raucous fae that frolic in the wild forest and are driven by curiosity, sometimes their homes become threatened. And this forces some of them into a more combative role. While they aren't the strongest defenders of the forest, their aptitude for magic has pushed some to become a boon upon the company, uh, upon a company of protectors. Their proficiency in support magic is apparent they prefer to keep their distance instead allowing their allies to take front and center and imbue them with power to strengthen their offense and defense. Um, mm. Now, once again, all I did is look at the card and see what it did in the picture and the art and everything. And it's like, okay, this is cool. What can I do with this? So in order to make this work, we're going to start with the stat block from the dryad, um, which means we're going to lose quite a few different things. You're going to lose mm-hmm. the speak with animals and plants. You're going to lose tree stride and we're going to take away its core feature, the fey charm. Um, and we're going to remove all of its spells except for shillelagh. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to give it some new spells. We're going to give it vicious mockery. Um, we're also going to give it, uh, three times a day it can cast command healing word or shillelagh. And once a day it can use, uh, aura of vitality and crusaders mantle. Now all those are each, right? I didn't yep. put that in my stat block, but that's usually how it goes. Each so three times command each and healing word and all that stuff. Um, and this gives him very much a or her a very much a a supporting role, commanding uh, enemies to run or sit or drop or sleep or something. Surrender. Right? Yeah. Um, and then the order of vitality that grants temporary hit points or the crusaders mantle that buffs up their offensive attacks. Um, shillelagh lets it beat you with a stick (laughs) and still be effective. (laughs) Healing word allows it to, um, heal and raise the party if they go down. And of course you're going to get rid of the weapons that the, the, you're going to replace its weapon with the quarter staffs and let it beat stuff with the holy staff or a tree branch or something. Um, what do you guys think about this? This was this definitely seems to be a good support character you have in the back pocket to support the party or screw with the party in some cases. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot. It's just a very like it, it really sends home the whole like support thing, which obviously I was choosing like the priest and the knight, and I like that kind of stuff. Right, so right. it really drives that point home. Yeah. I, I love think, about it. I think you could definitely combine uh some of the make some of these instead of 
some of these features even a um, a legendary action, kind of like what we did with the uh, legendary bestiary. I totally can see command or uh, command or um, healing word becoming a, a legendary action that they can use. Command definitely mm-hmm. would be cool. Oh yeah, uh, if, for sure. So, um, yeah, toss that into your forest forest adventures. Why not? <laughs> That'll do it for our monster variant. Um, our Ian, would you like to tell us about our character or our encounter concept? <laughs> the encounter. One of those things. Our encounter is d- dungeon and the dragon. Ah, I can't believe this. <laughs> and this is from Dandy Beyond or D and D Beyond. Yeah, it's Dandy Beyond. Okay, just checking on Twitter. You never know. Sometimes it was a meme. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I recall seeing that meme actually in a few pages, but a D&D campaign of Moses Jones style, but it's in the dragon, and those body parts and organs form a mega dungeon. It is literally a dungeon. And the dragon. <laughs> I have seen this before. <laughs> I've seen this post. Oh, uh, man. This, this had me cracking up. Uh, it started some chit-chatter. Um, I think that's fantastic. There was some uh, great insight that came from some of our followers uh, Charles Kuntz said you could reflavor different oozes for parasites or cells that attack the party. That'd be cool. That is cool. Yeah. Like that's how the, that's how the dragon breaks things down is it's got these, either the, these living parasites that it has a partnership with this uh, symbiosis, or maybe you're just shrunk so small though, then you change them as cells. I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin, it, what, or, uh, Ian, what was some other, uh, things they taught additional thoughts that they had? Well, see if it's Zook, it- it's like the dragon in a priceless artifact. The owner, a wizard, gives the party a potion of mega reduce. He then asks them to retrieve it. Call it Dragon Heist. Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> That's already taken. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this actually kind of remind me of the uh, Rick and Morty episode, Anatomy Park. <laughs> I really need to watch that. I got all three. I got the first three seasons on DVD. Well, okay then. I'll have to. I'll have to check that out. Um, too, so, overall, what do you guys think about this concept, this encounter idea? Now, I'll admit the uh, rules layer enemies. Like, I don't think most dragons in this edition are actually that big. They, they were bigger in past editions, but there's ways around that though. That I can think like no big deal, or sometimes just like just don't think about it. Just let go. Just have fun. <laughs> let roll with it. Yeah, I think the biggest they are is gargantuan, right? Yep. Um, actually, that's a good question. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I think I remember having an encounter, running an encounter where one was the size of a mountain. So, yeah, gargantuan is twenty by twenty. Mm-hmm. That's huge. It's pretty big, or larger, of course. Yeah, that's a hundred uh, hundred feet by hundred feet, right? No, twenty feet by twenty feet. Oh, twenty yeah. feet by twenty feet, not twenty by twenty squares. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, fairly small, but I mean, you can always, it says or larger. So yeah. I mean, maybe it's you can always have that, fun with it. Yeah. Maybe it could be like an ancient one that died and like rested after eating this thing. So the, now the guy, now the wizard's like, all right, it's dead. Go get my shit. But all mm-hmm. of its, ins, it just died. So all of its insides are still kind of moving. <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah, there were larger size categories in past editions too. So yeah. anyway, I think that would fall under DM Fiat easily. Yeah. Um, all right. That'll do it for our encounter, Dungeon and a Dragon. 
Our magic <laughs> item is the Witch's Eye. Now, once again, this is another thing. I looked at some Theros cards and I stumbled across this. I even put it in the Facebook and the in the Twitter feed. The um, the Witch's Eye is a wondrous item, rare, and requires attunement. The price of prophecy is an empty eye socket. That's the quote from the card. <laughs> it is said that this eye came from from that of one of the fates themselves. Some believe she still seeks it out today. This disgusting, soft, gooey eyeball is imbued with the power to see small glimpses into the future. The eye has three charges for the, uh, for the following properties. It regains 1d4 expended charges daily at dawn. If you expend the eye's last charge, roll a d20, and on a 1, it crumbles into ashes and is destroyed. Spells. While holding the eye, you can use an action to expend some of its charges to cast one of the following spells. DC save is 16. Arcane Eye for one charge. Augury for two charge. Or Divination for three charges. That should, yep. that should be a period there. Now, it also has one other ability called Divine Insight. While holding the eye, you can use your bonus action to expend one charge to cast True Strike really cool actually that's for a bonus action that's not bad what do you guys think i i like divination it makes sense weirdly except yeah. if you're holding a, a weird eyeball but like yeah you know whatever i almost made it sentient but i'm not a super fan of those where it nope. would be like just constantly looking around while you're holding it like, like in the old hercules flicks and true strike of course like um grants you advantage on your next attack against an enemy creature and i could definitely see that the idea behind that being, I see what you're going to do next, I can compensate, but I can also see the inverse happening too. It's been the charge you gain. So, in the attacking, the, the next attack against you has disadvantage because you see it coming. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Huh. That's a good one. I like that. That's I, a, I picked True Strike just because I was like, nobody ever used this. I'm going to find a way to make it not suck. Putting it as a bonus action, it doesn't suck as much. Because exactly. you're, you're not giving an action for it, which is why the Sorcerer can get away with using it pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, overall, what do you think about the flavor of this? I think it's a fun, good flavor. <laughs> the lore and the and the, the, the one the, the sisters of fate is trying to search this thing down that could create some potential. Uh, yeah. The, you, you quest hopes. Yep. Could you imagine if you like you were like uh, you were playing like an evil like acolyte or something and like to like they're so into like their their religion that they're like i must like gouge out one of my eyes stick this one in it's like (laughs) that's so gross but like you could do that that's the thing (laughs) so i don't know all right i think that'll do it for our magic item the witch's eye austin would you like to tell us about our long ass dungeon master tips (laughs) sure (laughs) as it was bestowed upon me today uh, so our Dungeon Master tip today is the Immersive Exploration Encounters from a D&D Beyond article, actually, by uh, James Hayek. Yep. Okay. Uh, inserting mysterious locations or items into a wilderness or dungeon exploration is one of the most common ways for Dungeon Masters to subtly add depth to their world. At the highest level, biomes and climates are the first way a DM communicates anything about the campaign world. The bleak environments of Ravenloft are wildly different from the rolling green fields of Sword Coast, which are in turn wildly different from the towering skyscrapers of Sharn. 
Uh, a rewatch of the Lord of the Rings films would give you an ample inspiration for environmental world building. From the imposing statues of Amon Hen to the vast and crumbling halls of Mor- Moria? Moria. Sure, yeah. That's Moria. what it sounds like. Uh, this environmental design tells your players not just about the place they are in, but about the people who created such things. Of course, not all environmental world-building elements need to be ruins from a bygone era, like they are so often in The Lord of the Rings and countless other fantasy stories that drew inspiration from it. What about uh, markers and monuments left by people who are still living or who only recently were killed? You can use graffiti on city walls to show the to show what the uh, downtrodden of a city value and uh, fear, essentially. Um, Or you can subtly telegraph the powers of a monster by decorating its lair with grisly trophies of past kills. A manticore leaves snapped bones stripped of clean flesh with dozens of uh, shed spines nearby, whereas a salamander might post the charred corpses of its foes on sticks as a warning for those who would threaten its colony. That's Um, a lot. That's it is good, a lot. Some good information. Uh, TLDR, uh, give like the use like environmental cues in your yes. D&D games. <laughs> I was trying. It's like, how can I shorten this and make it sound badass? I was like, ah, fuck it. Copy and paste and give credit to where it's due. Mm-hmm. Um, I think James, the, the whole entire article is worth reading. Check it out. Um, yeah, but this, is. this is right on cue, right on point for any dungeon master using the the world to set the stage um mm-hmm. what are your guys' thoughts on this there's certainly a lot more in the article but this is definitely uh a good summary of it i guess yep yeah and i, I definitely think something of the environment does go a long way and that is definitely a underestimated aspect of dming mm-hmm. yeah and th- but that's something that gets overlooked regularly, I think. Oh, yeah. The one thing I do really think is cool is that he touched on, and this is what I thought was really awesome, was um, telegraphing the powers of the monster. You know, I think I've only ever really done that with the Gorgon or the Medusa, where everything's mm-hmm. turned to stone. Um, I don't think I've ever really included that. Well, maybe spiders too, right? With webbing everywhere. Yeah. But for the right. most part, I don't include those things. So now as I'm moving forward, I'm going, I want to think, oh, as you're walking by, you see several little like uh, marks on the tree. Give me a survival check. Oh, they're definitely from a barrage of arrows. And you can tell that they're all in a straight line, which suggests like a trap, right? Um, something like that, I I think I could do better at, and this is why I, I really wanted to share this because this is probably one of my shortcomings that I know that I can work on and do better at. So, you know, it actually made me think of a few articles I've read in the past too. One I already mentioned, but the other one made me think of is uh, there was a correct article back when they were good years ago. (laughs) When they were, uh, did an article of surprisingly dark moments in kids cartoons. And one they covered was a, it was a French cartoon as a fantasy series. And the, the main case as they were adventuring, they came as they're going through like a, this dungeon, they randomly come across this pig out of the blue. And this pig suddenly seemed really happy to see them like excited. But then I cut to a shot of them suddenly eating pork. They were hungry. <laughs> but then they're in the episode they go deep into the dungeon, they get hit with a gas, and they turn into pigs. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Think about that for a what? second. Ah. 
It's gross. <laughs> they probably ate another adventure. <laughs> That's hilarious. That reminds me of an old South Park episode where Cartman chops up his, his buddy's dad and serves him in a chili. So Cheers. gross. Um, I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Immersive Exploration Encounters from mm-hmm. D&D Beyond article by James Hayek. I hope we're saying that right. We're probably not, but whatever. Hayek. Hayek. Our player tip of the podcast is don't be a dick. I try. <laughs> and you can avoid dickitude by focusing on those martial and arcane studies. Um, today's uh, teachable moment is the booming crack. Now, in order to, I hear a lot of how terrible the whip is. It's just, it's got reach. Okay, that's great, but it does 1d4 damage. Nobody, nobody's going to do that. It's not even lights. So you can't even do wield it without a feat. But did you know, if you take the spell sniper feet with booming blade, when you crack that whip on an enemy, you can bestow them that booming effect on them. So that way, since they're already out of range, if they move, they're going to take damage. And they're not within range of you, so you can just move away yep. and crack Ooh. another person. Um, to me, this is interesting. Now, um, when you get the spell sniper feet... Um, you take that and you pick up, use that to get it, the cantrip uh, booming blade because it basically lets you pick up a cantrip, cantrip from uh, any one of the attack cantrips. Um, mm-hmm. It doubles your range, so now it, the booming blade, which normally only works with melee, uh, five foot range, now works with reach, um, and your range spell attacks. You know, if you use them, ignore half cover, three quarters cover. If you can use spells, but to me, this would be very much a very cool Eldritch Knight build um, because they have an ability, I think, at level 7 where they can cast a cantrip as a bonus action and Booming Blade is a cantrip. So now you can crack yeah. that whip and just demolish them um, with your regular attacks and with the cantrip. Yeah. Um, hmm. You could also probably get away with doing uh, uh, the... Um, Arcane Trickster, I think, would be really great for this, too. Yeah. Um, Arcane Trickster could probably get it with it. Because you can add that sneak attack to it. Um, and they can't chase you. So you're yeah. darting around, cracking people with a whip like a, like a, like a lion tamer. And then be gone. So <laughs> what do you guys think? This sounds pretty powerful, honestly. Because... Uh... The without getting into melee range is like the the big thing about it, right? It's just yeah. very, you can just get almost essentially free damage, as yeah. long as you nail the attack roll. Yeah, and even yeah. then, even if you miss, you could still move away. Yep. And like, in a way, it seems kind of like a uh, discount sentinel slash pull arm fighter. Yep. Yeah. It's discount <laughs> on sale special. Can't be a pull arm master because your DM's a dick and cancels it out. Take this alternative instead. <laughs> oh, um, man. I really just count in the sense of less feats, but anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're like, it's not quite as good, but um if you don't know, booming blade when you hit somebody with the uh as part of the spell, you can make a melee attack, so you crack them with the whip, and if it hits, if they move, uh they immediately take uh thunder damage. So um once again it's very much a keep your distance. Um, I think it would be great as an arcane trickster or any other uh, sort of class that wants to keep their distance, but still help out in melee occasionally. Um, but uh, 
All right, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by building that booming crack. <laughs> it sounds like what my wife says when I bend over. It's the booming crack. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Um, I think that'll do it for our show today, you guys. Please join us on our next episode where we will be joined by special guest John Day um, to talk The Game Shop. Now, if you don't know what that is, The Game Shop is a show about Kevin Smith, not that Kevin Smith, uh, and his gang trying to save their failing store by letting a documentary crew film them uh, for a slight chance to win enough money to save their store. You know, they're basically saving the last place for gaming, you know, because if there's one thing we know in the digital age is local stores and our favorite local gaming shops really are struggling. It's even worse now with the pandemic, but um, I've already read the script and it is funny as hell. So I cannot wait to talk about it. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'll make it and uh, yeah, join us next week. It'll be exciting. If you have any feedback, other tips and tricks, or topics you would like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy. Uh, we may as well be everywhere because we are. So <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We hope you enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes, or just send a message to tell us how much you enjoyed the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. Yes. Um, <laughs> make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. Follow us at Twitch.tv slash CritAcademy. And please subscribe on YouTube. If you don't know, Ian has been making, taking snippets from our UTTs and making really cool videos um, and tossing those up there. Um, he's kind of slow right now at like one every like week and a half. Maybe we'll speed that up someday, but right now he's done some really great work. So definitely go and subscribe and get notified when he releases a new one. Uh, also if you subscribe onto our website, you'll be entered to win new prizes that we give away each and every single week. Also check out our fellowship members, uh, at our website as well. Um, check out Gabe and Jeff. Uh, their inner party conflict is awesome. Every week they answer your questions. This week they did something different. They took <laughs> a, 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 an eight hour session that we recorded last year in January and Gabe finally got around to editing it and has put it on their, uh, their show feed. So you can find all six episodes of that. And my God, it was so much fun. Even when I was listening back to it, I was cracking up so much. My character was annoying as hell. <laughs> it was great. Um, so check them out. You can also check out the actual live play uh, of our boys over at Brute Force and Ignorance. Those guys are great. Head on over to Game Master Stash on Facebook. Every single day they're posting amazing content for your RPG experience. So Also pick up our... Uh, Make sure to check out our uh, Dark Tides of Damodan. It's an awesome adventure. I put a lot of work into it. it took me over a year. Go get it. Right now. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Austin. I'm your co-host, Ian. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.